All right, friends, welcome to a new Cyclone Fanatic podcast here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. I'm Chris Williams, going to be joined today by Jay Jordan. Of course, he is our esteemed football writer. You can read his analysis throughout the year at CycloneFanatic.com. want to plug Jay's most recent work where he made comments upon Matt Campbell's comments following spring football. You can go and check that out. We published it on Tuesday. And it was really good, really good. And we're going to talk a little bit about that article today. And also just now that spring football is behind us, uh, what do you look forward to in the offseason with Iowa State? Expectations for next year and whatnot. Before we bring Jay on, I do want to thank today's sponsors. And we'll start with our friends at Carl Chevrolet. want to remind everybody that it's still truck month. It was extended this year at Iowa's truck leader, Carl Chevrolet. You can... Upgrade to one of those 2018 Chevy Silverados with the all-star package up to 25% off when you finance them through GMF. I got to drive that sweet Carl Chevrolet truck down to Tulsa earlier this year for the NCAA tournament. Boy, that was a dream. Carl Chevrolet is once again leading the way in our community, currently taking reservations for your community festival or event to bring out newly customized ice cream trucks. Listen to that. CarlChevrolet.com. You can learn more about that. Always check them out at CarlChevrolet.com. Or don't forget Carl Chevrolet Stewart. If you are on you know, that western side of the state, heading to Des Moines, don't want to come all the way to Ankeny, you can check them out at Carl Chevrolet Stewart. Also brought to you today by our friends at Des Moines Eye Care, Ames Eye Care. Man, I know you've heard me talk about it, the new glasses. I guess they're not you. They're about a year old now, but they block out the computer rays. Doctor, they they looked at my eyes one time. Dr. Kruger said, man, um, you can tell you're looking at your screen a lot. You probably have headaches. Try these out. I wear them every day now, and it's changed my life. Makes me feel a lot better. AimsEyeCare.com, Des Moines Eye Care. Dot com wherever you're located in the metro for all your eye needs for your family's one-stop eye care needs Des Moines Eye Care and Ames Eye Care. Also want to give a quick shout out to A Plus Lawn and Landscape. They actually came out this week and did my sharpen lube. What they do is they'll you you could set your mower out and they'll come to your house, change the oil in it, sharpen the blades, do all that. They're gone in like 30 minutes, less than that actually. It's so convenient. I trust A-plus Lawn and Landscape every year with my chemicals. They take care of it for me. All right, let's bring on Jay Jordan. Talk some Iowa State football. All right, Jay, I just gave you a nice introduction. How's uh, how's world down there in the greater Dallas, Texas metro? Doing okay? It's doing great. We're uh, getting flooded now these last couple days. Uh, oh, geez. As, uh, as spring will do, but... Um, do you guys get that a lot in the spring down there? I didn't know it rained that much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, different parts of the state over yeah. here in the east and, and in North Texas and the uh, eastern area, we get, we get um, especially with wet weather patterns. But, you know, in another month or so, it'll be 100 and dry as bone. So I'm already <laughs> looking forward to my annual trip down to Dallas for the Big 12 meeting. I can't days. wait. I'm I'm going to show you a good time when we're down there. Are you going to join me this year? Because I was thinking about getting Heck you yeah. like a media credential and letting you letting you kind of go to town. 
I've already written out my questions for all the coaches, so I hope so. Man, that's what I like to hear. Well, you had a <laughs> uh, you had a nice piece earlier this week uh, where you kind of, um, you know, it was interesting, Jay. It was like you you approached a press conference in a way that most most media guys don't because we're the idiots asking the dumb questions usually. And you kind of looked at it from a different angle, like you're trying to to read coach it coach speak kind of but what I what I did agree with you wholeheartedly is that Campbell is actually very candid in what he says you just have to be paying attention for it you know you have to be listening and I give him a lot of credit for that because over the last few years you know if we go back to hey Joel Lanning's going to be a really good linebacker to listen to this you pay attention to this Mike Rose kid to the Brock Purdy stuff. Like, he's been really honest with us in the offseason the last couple of years. What what's what has stood out to you overall so far before we, you know, really dive into some spe- specifics? What stood out to you this spring? Um, in the comments or just... Uh, yeah, just in, in that in that media session that, that you wrote about with Campbell, what was the main thing that popped for you? Well, and, and, and I usually don't write on, on media comments, but I did on this, not just because of the opportunity, but because I found this one pretty interesting compared to others. Uh, he's like most coaches, and, and you say there's a lot of a lot of tripe. You can't put much stock in anything they they say, uh, though though if you listen closely enough, you'll, you'll hear certain things that are keys. Uh, the thing about Campbell is, is exactly what you said. He'll, he'll be strikingly candid with offhanded comments or things that may be a sentence in a 10 minute interview. Um, but, but, but they play out, uh, when, when you hear that stuff, you, you then progress six months to the fall and, Oh yeah. He said that back in the spring. So, so this time though, I I thought he was a little bit, uh, a little bit more candid, um, than usual, uh, especially, you, you don't, you don't hear, you know, the one thing that the one quote that really stuck out and motivated me was, was when he, uh, after talking fairly effusively about the offensive line, that he had the tacit admission that they had been so far, uh, for his tenure there and that they were getting closer to where he wanted them to be not there, but, but getting closer. And that type of candor is not something that you hear ordinarily, especially in the springtime. Um, but uh, was encouraging because it lends credibility to the balance of what he says, and and so that's kind of, I guess that that may be some legal training um, in the mix there as well as to what you listen for and where somebody's being candid or not. Uh, that kind of negative comment bolsters the truth of the uh, more effusive comments, and uh, I found him just refreshing and really fascinating that the scheme reveal part there just, you, you know, me well enough to know that, that, that got me excited. And it was like uh, a gear locking into place uh, for me on some of the things that I've seen and questioned and written about over the last few years. That was a really, really um, exciting comment, but revealing comment that you don't often hear from coaches. Do you want to elaborate on that just for a little bit? If somebody hasn't heard that interview, I mean, what, what, what did you read into it that got you so excited? Well, what got me excited was because I, I understood some things 
that I'd been seeing uh, and answered a few questions on why I wasn't seeing some other things um, in the film. But but what he said essentially, just just to paraphrase and do it much much worse than he did, is he, he said that that on on offense uh, in particular, and then he used a little parenthetical like defensively, um, they look for matchups. So you know the sometimes I would say excessive motion that they use on offense. Um, motion is used in those cases uh, in common vernacular to uh, create matchups. And he, he admitted, he said, you know, we have not been able to uh, have the pieces available to us to create the matchups we want uh, and the mismatches that we want in uh, in our offensive sets, however, we have some pieces now. We have advanced from a overall talent perspective to be able to create more matchups in those games. And then he just mentioned off the cuff three positions: offensive line, tight end, and running back. Mm-hmm. Um, and talked about different skill sets being brought to the table in each of those those areas, which I think gives you you know, and kind of the, the way Matt Campbell speaks gives you an indication as to where you would see them trying to expand those matchups. So, so what that kind of, and in the, the article, you can, you can read it, um, is you get, it clicks into place why the, why the running game has been so focused on the inside versus jumping to the edges and why the passing game has seemed to be the vertical seam and a, a horizontal screen. It's because that's where they thought that the best matchups were. I mean, you had Butler and Lazard, right? You got six, five, six, six beasts out there running vertically in the seam against smaller corners, best matchup on the field. Um, you get Trevor Ryan and Deshante Jones on a horizontal screen with a Butler and Lazard types uh, out blocking best matchup on the field. The running game is more of a mitigation of, of a lack of talent where you have a disparity in talent. So you don't want to stress your guys. You want to try to bring numbers for the matchups. And they do that with the F back with seeing back seeing Buckner and the motion you'd, you'd see into the backfield to try to bring an extra man in the interior running game. So that all of a sudden makes sense. That's mm-hmm. the matchup. And that's their offensive motif. That's what these guys are trying to create and do offensively, as opposed to, you know, Lincoln Riley, who's going to, uh, you know, he's going to bring superior talent to bear, uh, but he's also creating his matchups in space through uh, deception and option football with the passing element. A little bit different. So am I reading this right? Was, where you're you're basically based off of these comments you you're now like you you see what they were trying to do more clearly over the last few years I do I do now what it does not mean is that I think that they shouldn't have tried to do some of the other things yeah uh and and done that it does not mean that it's not a, a wholehearted endorsement of it but I get it I know what they're trying to accomplish I mean half to not not half probably 90% of, of trying to write a good, uh, write something or convey something with regard to analyzing teams and football is understanding what they're trying to accomplish and knowing what they're trying to accomplish. 
So without being out at practice and in a meeting room, um, I get to interpret that from film. When a coach comes out and gives you direction like that in an interview, now all of a sudden you, you start to understand why a certain play was called, when it was called, and how a certain game was played. doesn't mean they're all right uh, or it's even the right philosophy. You just have a better understanding of, of what the thinking was there, and that, at least for me, uh, I found exciting and revealing and something that, that at least as, as Cyclone followers uh, and Cyclone fans, you know, you, you can latch on to and understand a little bit better when you watch the season progress. Jay, a couple things here um, really popped for me when I heard your analysis. One, um, well, let's go to last year, really the last couple of years, and then I want to get to the tight ends because I think that that is a – uh, for uh, uh, instead of teasing that, I had a sor- a really good source in the program tell me about a week ago because I was just kind of feeling around trying to get some information from the scrimmages that are close to the media. And one source who like the uh, best source that I have, okay, the who I trust the most, says if our guys are healthy, we have one of the best tight end rooms in the country. That's what they believe about the group of Chase Allen, Charlie Kolar, and Dylan Saner. What what is mm-hmm. that what is that how do you react to that if, if that turns out to be the case? What do you what's your reaction to that comment? Um two things. Number one, I agree. Uh number two um there's a lot of consternation about wide receiver. We lose Butler, right? And mm-hmm. we've got unproven pieces um that are coming back and, and available. We just there's a lot of unknown there. Um I think there's a lot less unknown because you're you're going to see the tight ends emerge to that, you know, forty to sixty catch level as a group that, that you saw at Toledo with guys like Michael Roberts um when when Campbell was there. And it's not just in the catching game, but also in, in the blocking game. But you get so much versatility. Look, we see it in the pro game, right? Yeah. See, uh, when when the when the Eagles beat the Patriots two years ago for the Super Bowl, uh, what's their tight end? Their Ertz. Ertz yeah. had an enormous game, huge game, massive mismatch. The Patriots have, uh, you know, just to, just to use it, um, I guess maybe bring it closer to home up there, Travis Kelsey. Um, you know, at Kansas City, they're they're major factors in the in the the pro game uh, and at the highest levels because they are a mismatch physically. So when you look at our guys, you've got Saner who can run a little a little bit, uh, can catch the ball, and is a offensive tackle on wheels uh, from a size perspective. You got Chase Allen who's got a great all around game which I don't think we've seen his potential yet. I think the coaches know what Chase Allen can do because they've been with him every day, but the injuries have limited him so much over these uh, first few years in the program that we don't know necessarily yet how good that kid can be. Um, But I think he's smart. He's got hands. He runs a little bit. And then you've got Kohler, who I think is probably the best pro prospect on the team, um, who showed – just a real natural hands catcher with the ball. You think he's the um, and the, the entire roster? You think Kohler's the best pro prospect? I do. Wow. 
That's I do. He's exciting. Six. Yeah. He's two, he's 250. He'll be 260 before he leaves. He runs very well and smoothly. His adjustments to the ball on routes um, and uh, his ability, his catch radius. I know that's a buzz term this time of year. Um, his catch radius and the way he hand catches everything. Um, give him a couple more years of, of tutelage uh, and knowledge of the game. Really smart kid as well. Um yeah, that 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 kid's a he's a game changer. Uh, we saw it last year. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw it. Now it was in in bits, but um, we saw those. Uh, you know, you can call it a top pass, but it's really just an RPO seam. Uh, we did that a couple times. Scored on one. Um, got knocked down at the at the one. I think on another. His most impressive catch was I think it was Tech, but he had somebody all over him in the end zone. Yeah. And uh, the ball comes close. He reaches out, catches it with his long arms uh, away from the other receiver uh, while having somebody draped on him. Those are those are special things that he's doing naturally. Um, really, really solid skill set. So, so you've got three guys with differing skill sets uh, that can all do what you want a tight end to do. Uh, super hard to prepare for as a defensive coordinator because you don't know who to put on them. Uh, to contain them. So if so, what I think that indicates, if you're hearing that from a source inside inside the building, is that 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 focus that has not been there that I've written till I'm blue in the face needs to be there is probably going to emerge this fall. Yeah, and I would add that that was not. Um, I did not ask about that. That was offered to me after a conversation, and it was on a side source says. Yeah, and you don't don't lose fact of this, and then he went on about the tight ends. So that tells me that they've really, really stood out, and I know they're excited about that group. Alex Golish told me before last year about how good Kohler could be, you know, and that was before he'd ever played a snap. So a lot to be excited about there. the The running game, and this, this you and I have had long conversations, but I don't believe we've ever had one. You know, for our for our audience here, the David Montgomery piece is super interesting to me in the sense that we know how great he was. I'm not making light of him leaving, but I I do. There is part of it, part of me that's excited. If you go back and watch the Oklahoma State game, which I've, I've done twice this off season, and just watching the different differential and how plays were called and the offense looked different. And it, I, I think Matt is just – he's so Belichick by nature where if he knows he has this elite running back behind a below-average offensive line, this guy's never going to fumble. He's going to probably get four yards when he should only get two. Um, there were questions at quarterback for a long time, you know, basically up until the middle of last year. I think Matt got very comfortable just handing the ball off to 32 – because Matt is a guy who'd rather punt than force something and force a turnover. That's just how he's always going to be by nature. Now Montgomery's gone. The line should be a little bit better. You're crystal clear at quarterback. I think that this sets things up to I don't know, to at least be really intriguing some of the ways that they could approach the running game. So when you watched uh, that game two times, uh, what did you notice about the – the focus of those those run plays that were called, where what was the the disparate 
uh, theme in that. Well, the downhill blocking style would be more of my the 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 zone blocking schemes were different. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. That's, okay. That's a big, the Good. big part of it. I passed because the test. It, because it, what it <laughs> what it, what it did is what it did is it created uh, avenues to the edge as the focus of the run with cutback opportunity and big play space available. And you saw in that game, Kanae just get caught by the ankles twice. Otherwise, he houses it. Um, you, you even saw uh, Johnny Lang run very, runs very effectively um, behind that that type of scheme. Just look, it's got to change because Montgomery had a specific, not a specific skill set. He had a versatile skill set, but um, but there's a specific comfort, comfort level with what you were going to get and how they decided to use him. Uh, now you've got a committee, each guy with a totally different range, and, and that's what they did a great job against Oklahoma State with. You saw the the sweeps putting Kane on the edge. You saw Sheldon run tough on the inside. You saw Johnny do a little bit of both, um, and they got some space, and they moved the ball. And then part of that also was, or, or a default, would be, well, the threat of Purdy running the ball uh, increases that space and that opportunity to, to go out there. And that's true. Um, although I think they'll probably focus on him running the ball less now that he's established and wanting to keep him healthy. Um, I, I think that that's where it's headed. I like the development and, and they really switched to that outside or outside zone type blocking scheme in that game and used it the rest of the year, used it with David very effectively, West Virginia and Kansas State come to mind. Um, so so I'm I'm thrilled by that. Now, I have a, a hot opinion about the running back room. Let's hear it. Know if we're going no, to cover that. Let's hear it. I love <laughs> hot opinions. Fire away. Well, and, and I always, you know, I just don't want this to be taken as criticism of any any specific player. We didn't hear much about Johnny Lang throughout the spring, or at least in the reports that we got. Um, I like his skill set as being the most versatile and explosive of the returning crew, even over Kane. Okay, um, Kane, we'll see. We'll see. I, I love the guy's potential. His speed is electric. Uh, we'll see if he has the. Uh, will to run for tough yards uh, as opposed to spot plays where he's put in space. That may just be what type of player he is, which is fine. Okay. But I think they're all just hold, holding a place uh, for Brock and Hall until Campbell well, trusts them. Let me ask you this about Kane. Yeah. So there was some attrition earlier this week. We learned Josh Johnson's gone from wide receiver. Disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a bummer, and I I still haven't gotten to the bottom of that exactly as to why that happened, or and I, I'll continue to work on it. Um, but clearly there are some receiver, you know, there's there's a lot of talent there, but we haven't seen a lot of that talent. Could is Kane a guy who you could you know throw over in the slot and do he? I don't know. Just like when I look at him. He looks like a Percy Harvin type guy. I'm not comparing him to Percy Harvin. He was fantastic, a Heisman contender. 
But Kinney looks like to me a guy who you could move around the field a little bit, especially if he doesn't fit in your long-term view as a running back. Do you see that? So that's that. Yeah. So that's that. That going back to the scheme comments that Coach made. That's exactly right. So, so this is what I know. We don't have that much time. We want to hit some other stuff. But uh, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, two years ago, he had Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan in the same backfield. Um, Rodney Anderson was the year after, and last year was Sermon. But every time we've played them. We uh, Cyclone fans should be very familiar with how Lincoln Riley uses two backs out of the backfield. He runs an RPO scheme where he'll have two backs run the run pass option or the run portion of the option with one of the backs and the other one slips out on a delayed seam. And then the quarterback has an easy toss to a wide open Rodney Anderson running down the middle of the field. Trey Sermon did it to us in the game that we won uh, down at Oklahoma. You remember that fullback in 2016, I guess, caught a million balls when mixing them were out. Um, I saw Kyler Murray do it against uh, Alabama and Texas uh, this year. That's the look that I want to see and that they have the opportunity to really exploit where you have two backs in the backfield or one in the slot. They'll use motion and put them everywhere. And you have a guy with Kanae's type of threatening speed that gets the ball in space over the top of a linebacker running down the middle of the field. That's a threat. And that's a great place to use him. That's where that, that he uses that word multiplicity. But that that multiple skill set package can be used and moved uh, to threaten in the passing game as well, and why I'm not so worried about having unproven guys at wide receiver. It really is quite fascinating to me how, you know, for the first time since Troy Davis in 1997, Iowa State has two, or Iowa State has anybody leaving early for the NFL draft, and it happens to be two guys, skill position guys on offense and we're this optimistic. You know, Iowa State's probably going to be picked third in the Big 12 as you look towards next season. It's 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 fascinating to me. They have to Which be better optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. They What about up front, Jay? I know that God, you and I have spent way too many long nights texting about the <laughs> offensive line. Yes. Are you are you optimistic on what you've seen, what you've heard throughout the offseason so far? Yeah, uh, two different questions there. I'm not optimistic about what I've seen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm optimistic about what I heard. Okay, uh, which is a very different. Yeah, <laughs> very, very, very different. So we'll see. But but you know from those those deals how high I am on some of the kids that were mentioned, uh, the younger guys, um, and I've made the statement quite openly that I didn't think a single position on the offensive line should be secure just because of number of starts going into this year. I think that's what Campbell said. Uh, he said there's fierce competition going into fall camp, and he's got eight for five. And uh, fierce competition indicates that, that things aren't locked down just because of seniority. And um that there's players that are pushing you to the level. I, I tried to make the point, probably not. I don't even know if I'll do it well now, but there's a difference between competition where you end up in a default position where, do you know what I mean by that? Like mm -hmm. somebody's got size seniority or number of starts behind them. So you're just not quite ready to pull the trigger. 
versus fierce competition where you're choosing between two good options and uh and you're choosing based on on what type of scheme you want to run, which is why he mentioned offensive line as one of the positions and um kind of the multiple nature of of the offense and matchup basis. But the fact that we've got eight names mentioned, if I remember right, Chris, and you're you're going to be better at this than me, but over the last three years of Campbell, when he's mentioned the offensive line and offensive linemen in spring and fall camp, it's generally been one name. You know, like last year it was Colin Newell. Yeah, we heard Newell. Uh, The year, year before we heard Foster a little bit. Meeker a little bit. Um, this year we got three kind of new names plus uh, you know praise for the work some of the um, returning guys have done. Uh, Newell in particular. Um, that's different, and so because that's different, because he's talking about fierce competition, because he's talking about a number of guys that can come in. That's I, I felt a great deal of enthusiasm from Coach Campbell. And Coach Campbell knows the offensive line. Um, he knows it well. He's got his offensive guy, his line guy back in the fold, though not specifically focused on it, um, and Coach Manning. But um, that's... the He made mention of towards the end of the season, moving to where he was seeing physically dominant play. Um, there wasn't a lot of that, but there was some. And in particular, I agree with him with regard to the Alamo Bowl. Watching that back several times, um, there were times when holes were created by fitting the block and finishing the block. Um, throughout the rest of the year, we had trouble fitting all five blocks, let alone finishing two of the third, two of the five. Um, so if they're moving in that direction, that means those blocks are getting fitted on a regular basis and we're getting some finishes. And if, if the offensive line moves in that direction, then that creates a lot of opportunity for uh, guys with speed like Kene, uh for somebody creative like Brock um, to do some things that, that we haven't seen in the kind of base type, oh man, what can I trust type play calling we've seen over the last three years. You know, the one that you tell me if this is probably BS or if you can buy into this, but the one, you know, I heard Newell's been really good. And this is again, one. this is my, my birdie behind the scenes that that's been giving me a lot of good stuff. Uh, he claims that good Jones is like, that looks like a different guy out there this year too. Is that, is it possible that after that many years, like you can just kind of turn a leaf and, and get it and flip a switch as an offensive lineman? And it's not like Good Jones has been bad. I'm not I'm not saying that, but they're they've been really impressed with him in the spring. What do you make of that? Yes. Uh and more so on the offensive line than any other position. Uh because of the maturity and body and mind that it takes to be really effective at that position. Um, it, yeah, the light can come on in a fifth year. Uh, his body's more mature. His mind's a little bit uh, better. And he, some people, it just takes longer to understand what's needed to be absolutely effective or that it matters that you're effective on every single play. I would say about his play, he's the most frustrating offensive lineman to watch when you focus in on a game because he will have a play where you're like, yes, 
that is a big 12 left tackle or guard or center, whatever he played. Um, and then you'll have one where he, you know, is spinning around like a top and apologizing to the quarterback uh, or the running back. It just got nailed because he didn't get anything. Um, if he's bringing a level of consistency and maturity to his game, and we're going to see a lot more of those, those fine plays then that. <laughs> I don't want to overstate it, but his play, if he's going to be that guy is key to the entire dance up front. Uh, he's, he's the leader by starts. He's the leader by, uh, time on the field and time in the program. And if he's gotten it, if he's flipped that switch a little bit, then that's going to bring all the other guys into, into the fold. And uh, that, that was where I made the comments about Coach Campbell talking about leadership coming from the offensive line. That's kind of what that means. Guys jump in line behind an offensive lineman who works hard and makes his block every, every play. Uh, if you've got that on a team as a coach at whatever level you're coaching, then you've got something. And, and if he turns into that guy, I can't tell you how important that is. I just I haven't seen enough on the field and on film to be able to say that that's that's the case. But is that possible? Absolutely. At that position, absolutely. We only have limited time here uh, with you, Jay. So I want to move on to the defense, and then we've got all summer. We can do more of these. Uh, the you know the headline that has stood out to me is about a guy who we really haven't seen a lot of, but moving Will McDonald to linebacker is is fascinating on multiple levels. One, I think it tells you just how good Iowa State expects itself to be on the defensive line in 2019. I'll be anxious when some of the national lists come out where Iowa State is ranked nationally on the up front on the defense because I, I think that you can make an argument for a top 10 to top 15 ranking for that group. But you move a talent like Will McDonald to linebacker, um, it tells me that, and then it tells me uh, what they think of him and his future, not only at Iowa State, but I believe in the National Football League as well. Put put our audience in the mind of maybe John Haycock right now. Why, why move Will McDonald to the linebacker spot? Um, I can imagine uh... – Coach Haycock would hear that question and just kind of give you a wry smile out of the corner of his mouth. <laughs> the professor. There's nothing more. There's nothing more uh, more delicious for a defensive coordinator than having a versatile two-way edge player uh, with length, speed, and desire, which is what I hear and expect to see from that kid. Now, I haven't seen it on the field uh, yet, so so I'll reserve full laudits, but that's why he's in that position. If I can interpret it correctly, uh, what that does is creates tremendous versatility and, um, in both pressure packages and coverage. Uh, we don't know if he can cover yet. That'll be a challenge, uh, may not be his primary role this year. Uh, but just think about the impact NFL guys, uh, who are that types? Uh, Demarcus Ware, Von Miller, uh, way back. Yeah, Miles I don't want to get crazy, Moore. but Von Miller's the guy I always think of. This. Yeah, no, no, that, that's exactly what Von Miller was. Yeah, 
exactly what Von Miller is, but but teams draft. Where do those guys get drafted? Top ten. Yeah, top five, top ten. Yeah, top five, top ten. They they can be in the mix for the top pick in the draft because it's so valuable. When you have somebody who can be a pass rush threat on that that edge side that that may cause an offense to call a slide protection up front uh, to deal with him, may have to chip him and keep a back in. You you start to control. You can control what an offense does by using that versatility uh, from from a pass rush perspective, different angles, moving that player around. And then when they expect and play for him to be in a pass rush mode, dropping him back uh, into coverage, then you've enhanced your coverage uh, and coverage ability because you've got more people covering less people because they've tried to account for that that on the edge. In addition, for Iowa State, where we've very often seen them playing um, well, playing coverage, playing soft, or not soft, but um, playing to not give up the big play, so quarterback gets 10 seconds behind a three-man rush. Uh, I think we're going to have a solid four-man type rush, and it won't always come from McDonald. Mm-hmm. Because you have him in that position, now you've freed up uh, an Eisworth. You've freed up Spears. You've freed up uh, Braxton Lewis. You've freed up Anthony Johnson to come from different angles and different places because their focus is going to be on this one, one threat. And the guy who it helps more than anybody is Jaquan Bailey, who now may get, instead of a slide protection and a chip to his side as, as the threat may be uh, on a weaker uh, right tackle type situation uh, and as a maturing player have more impact in the pass rush game. So, so not only, um, so yeah, I could go on and on about that, about the flexibility that that gives you to pivot around, uh, bring different pressures, and really tighten the focus of the defense from eliminating big plays and keeping people in behind the sticks to creating negative plays, turnovers, and sacks. I, I think, too, one thing that fans sometimes don't understand is you, you see that Iowa State's in a three-man front, but a lot of times, as you kind of alluded there, and I, I'm putting, I'm trying to put this more in the terms that a casual fan can understand, there might be only three guys down, but they're usually filling that fourth gap from somewhere else. Right. I mean, it, that's right. That That's it, it's kind of confusing because we're just so used to seeing four man fronts in general and football. And this is kind of a new deal. But, yeah, it's super intriguing to. And that's what makes the three man front so difficult if you're an offense that doesn't see it. Right. Because you don't know where those other guys are coming from. That's right. That That's that's the whole point of the, the three, four, three, three stack type scheme is that you've got multiple angles from which that can that attack could come. I'm fired up. Defensive line's my favorite position in the sport and <laughs> I can't wait to I can't wait to watch I, I we we had a little family party for Easter. This is how sick the Williams family is and we watched the West Virginia game again on Sunday. Yeah. And like now that that is a thing of beauty when you're talking about defensive line play. I, I remember being on the field before the game and I found out Lima wasn't playing. I'm like, oh, crap, that's huge because I'm I'm such a admirer of, of Ray Lima's and they did not miss a beat. And that, to me, was like it, it was an eye-opening moment for the program to me when when you take that guy out and they did not miss a beat. No. Uh, you know, the other thing, we, we 
has has been really not talked about much at all is prior to when any hurt got hurt and what was it the fourth or fifth game yep uh he was the best player on the field it's a really uh, good point defensively or offense offensively and he struggled to come back from that missed a lot of time uh but that guy was the best player on the field in our first four to five games and he's going to be healthy and ready to roll this fall is he the best pro prospect on the on the defensive line yeah that's kind of what I thought. By far. Yeah, when he's got first-round size, talent, uh, and athleticism to go along with it. By the way, a little nugget, I heard Josh Bailey's finally really clicking. That's in the, interesting. In the middle, yeah. I wondered if that was going to happen. Well, I don't know exactly what it means for this year, but I do know that him and Tucker Robinson, Robertson are the two that it sounds like they will make a push to play. I don't know how much they'll be able to get onto the field because of what's in front of them, but it sounds like both have really impressed this spring. I love Tucker Robinson out of uh, his tape out of high school. Kid had had natural leverage, played nasty. Um, he just needed twenty to twenty five more pounds, which he has now. So that is not a surprise, isn't, and I think we're going to see good things out of him. Isn't this how it's supposed to be, though? Like where yeah. you, you develop these, these linemen and they're playing in years three and four as opposed to in the past, like we've just been so accustomed to see, oh, this guy's here, we got to start him, right? Right, yeah, we get to talk about a normal program. Uh, yeah, that that's the way it's supposed to work, and that that's why I, I think we as fans will have an adjustment in that because I find myself doing it, wondering, oh, gosh, this guy didn't come in and set the world on fire as a freshman. Uh, maybe he's not going to be that great. Mm-hmm. Maybe the kid's pretty good. He's just waiting for his turn. That's what we're going through at wide receiver. Yeah, we we're going to see some kids. I'm not that worried about it. Yes, we lost a lot of production, but uh, these guys come with pedigrees. So so we'll see. Uh, but I don't think we're going to fall off a cliff or anything um, at that that position. I don't like losing Josh Johnson. I think he'll go to. Arkansas, Memphis, or Tennessee, and start uh, be really good. Um, but uh, but we've got we've got pieces. Jones and Milton are the two best hands guys we've probably had since Lane Danielson and Jack Whitford. Wow. I wrote that joke down. That didn't go over well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. No. I just think I just think back to that night where we were in that yeah. one place in San Antonio that Bloom made us go to a horrible yeah, bar. That's, that's exactly why I wrote it. <laughs> just a terrible uh, bar, though. It was awful, but uh, we had a good time. Um, yeah, but those two guys are great hand cat- catchers, excellent um, natural catchers of the football. And if there's anything that's always played the Iowa State passing game, it's drops. And uh, we even have that question with our, our early entrance into the, into the draft. Um, but but Jones and Milton have excellent hands, which creates trust um, with both the quarterback and the coaching staff. And I think that's going to emerge and be important next year. Uh, elsewhere on the defense, let's go to the secondary. Uh, we can kind of skip over the linebackers because I think Iowa State's pretty short up there. The yeah. Yeah, I mean it. It's it's not even much of a conversation. It it looks really strong. Yeah, dude, we, we we don't even talk about Orion Vance, who is a really good player. Yeah, I, rem- 
I remember when Orion Vance was sitting out for his scout team year and the coaches were talking about how great this guy is. Yeah, he's good. We don't even talk about it. So anyway, secondary. <laughs> well, I'm more interested for me, like the I am interested in corner. I, I think that losing Brian Peavy will be a deal that we all look back on in the middle of October and be like, oh, wish we had that guy. Now, I think the guys behind him are very capable. Anthony Johnson, Anthony Johnson to me might have been the biggest surprise on last year's team, other than maybe Purdy. I mean, I thought Purdy was going to be pretty good, but I didn't know he would be that good that that soon as a true freshman. But Anthony Johnson, like I kept looking down and because uh, I'd try and keep tabs of true freshmen who were playing on the new redshirt deal, and all of a sudden it's like, well, this guy's you know he's playing. Okay, this is this is it, and by the end of the year, they really liked him a lot. And, you know, I think he's ready to plug in. And, and Daytron Young, he had an injury at the end of last year. I know that they're really in love with him. But, man, it, it's hard to replace a guy like Peavy, though, especially in that spot in this conference. What's your read on that group? Um, yeah, you're going to have some uh, – you're going to give up a little bit to youth. But but those two corners are, are – I just feel really comfortable with both of them. Number one, Johnson's size uh, and experience. Uh, you know, he got overpowered a little bit there in the Texas game, but uh, I think that'll change with a full full year in the program. That was an 18 year old kid trying to tackle a man. Um, Daytron Young, before he got hurt, I I was super impressed with that kid's physical, and I think Johnson's very physical, and I think there's something. PV was very good, and a very good cover man but he didn't have the size or um or game his game wasn't to be terribly physical on the outside these two guys are and yeah they'll get beat a little bit because of some of that that aggression but um i I mean we'll see we'll we'll look i could be completely wrong but but guys who are that physical i think both those guys can play press coverage um I, I just if if Haycock if the professor has an opportunity to have press corners uh, on the side that he could he could occasionally put on an island and stuff I hate to think of what kind of damage he can do uh, and draw up and I think that's what you'll see develop there is it next year maybe not but that year after um, I, I think we're fine on the corner now the depth I'm not sure about the depth well I like getting their kid from Rice that's huge yes that's helpful and. You know, another thing is that's interesting when you watch the pro- just program progression is it wasn't very long ago where Acuna was the guy who were like, oh yeah, he's he's the guy who steps in for PV when PV's gone, and he's all over the board right now. I mean, these young guys have, have have jumped him, which I I think is a good sign. Yeah, I thought Keontae Jones was an excellent yeah. player. Yep, uh, and he's a backup corner now. I thought he would be a safety. Uh, and he still might be, uh, but but he's down. Uh, once again, just like you said, it doesn't mean that, that he's underachieved or isn't what we necessarily thought he was. It's exactly what you want in your program. You keep bringing in higher talent, uh, raise the talent bar, and they've got to jump up and achieve it, and some do and some don't. But uh, the secondary is also a place where, where a kid can um, mature later as they understand the game more and what's required of them to do their job. So well, um, 
the fact that we have young guys in there um, that are, that have garnered the coaching staff's trust is a pretty big deal and, and a really good sign for the future. Yeah, well, it's definitely a, a deal too, Jay, where when you have what these guys are going to have in front of them in terms of a front seven, I mean, it makes their job a lot easier to mature playing corner in the Big 12 when you've got that line and that group of linebackers. And when you have Greg Eisworth running around. Oh, yeah, I forgot about you. him. That, that guy's he's the second best uh defensive pro prospect. <laughs> yeah, that's another one too where we talk about Campbell giving us really good insight in the off season. He said all last last off season like he he tried telling us about Eisworth and I think a lot of us we've got cold feet with Juco's based off of the past and and he wasn't kidding around. No, that kid can play. They there was even a mention or two that he had another great spring standout spring so uh he's everywhere he's all over the field he's tough uh he plays plays coverage and the run really well uh the safety is is incredibly important uh in this defense but in defense in general and when you have one you can trust that makes plays like Eisworth does uh it really gives you a lot of flexibility and comfort uh and it can help cover up uh some deficiencies at the corner position Jay, it's always a pleasure. We'll, we need to do this again where we can maybe go more in-depth on, on some of these positions when we don't have a, a time limit beside us. But I wanted to pick your brain on everything Iowa State football, spring football. we got to do some Big 12 stuff. I think that it's going to be a really interesting conference. Again, I think it is um, the Jalen Hurts stuff at Oklahoma is fascinating. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what Herman's got cooked up at Texas. I think they're going to be pretty good. But I, I do think that Iowa State is right there. Uh, to make a push for a Big 12 championship game. So it'll be an exciting summer, and look forward to more of your insight, my man. Well, I can't wait. I think this is the first time you and I have got the chance to, to pod together. So, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's great, and uh, we can bring some of our other conversations uh, for others to listen in on. But um, I'll be available. Just let me know. Sounds good, brother. Tell everybody down in Dallas. I know all those Cyclone fans in Dallas will be listening, so we'll give a shout-out to them. Tell them all hello. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Take care. Take care. Bye. There you go. That's Jay Jordan. Uh, second to none, man. He is, uh, I wrote this on my, my Facebook page earlier this week. I don't, I don't know if there's anybody better at analyzing Iowa State football out there. He's him and Ben Bruns. Those would be my, my two guys. The, they are absolutely fantastic. And we're lucky to have Jay giving his insight here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Lots more uh, coming up here. NFL draft coverage coming up this weekend at CycloneFanatic.com. And I will uh, likely once David and Hakeem go, probably do a little podcast to throw up here on the network for you all to chew on over the weekend with some reaction to that. And uh, I think Brian Peavy will go as well, probably late in the draft. If not, he'll definitely be a free agent signing. So, Hope you enjoyed this. I'm sure that you did. Jay's fantastic. So uh, thanks for listening, and have a great rest of your week.